This episode is brought to you by The Cruise of Thrones. Find all the details and reserve your spot at cruiseofthrones.com and join us as we explore Westeros. Hey everyone, and welcome to another Game of Thrones Tower of Babel breakdown. As always, I am Julian Muche. I am joined by Daniel D'Souza. Hey. And we are here to discuss Season 1, Episode 3, Lord Snow. And this is our Season 1 rewatch, of course, if you haven't been paying attention. If for some reason coming in the middle of this, it's very confusing. But um, we started in Season 3, reviewing every episode, um, and done them all now, but we're going back and starting over at season one because we didn't and we didn't do that when it first started. So we're re-watching season one, um, and it's a lot of fun so far. And we're at the third episode, so let's basically get right into it. But before I do that, let me just quickly mention that if you want to stay up to date with everything we're doing with Tower of Babel and all of our Game of Thrones content, follow us on Twitter at Tower of Babelcast, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Tower Babelcast, and check out all the content that we produce at Tower of Babel. .ca. All right, so again, season one, episode three, Lord Snow, and this episode begins in King's Landing. This is the first time we've ever really been in King's Landing, uh, and it, it goes, we get right into a small council meeting, and you, I can't, I, I can't express how much I miss these small council meetings. They were so much yeah, fun hey. in season one, right? The small council meetings and just the the sort of interactions in the throne room in between small council meetings, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I so is the small council chamber like adjacent to the throne room? We, uh, presumably, right? Yeah, it is. It's, it's kind of like just there's a little back door there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now I like the, the, the beginning. We get someone to bring like uh, Ned right into the like we're having a meeting right away. He's like, "Would you like to change it to something more appropriate, or whatever?" And then Ned gives him like a funny look. Um, but then he walks. Cold northern stare. <laughs> then he walks into the the throne room, and I'm like, the dude's wearing like a half cape. What's more, like, what could you possibly change into that's cooler than like a half cape? Did you? I, know- I think the idea is like he's wearing his riding clothes, you know, and like King's Landing, it's it's all about um, you know pomp and Circumstance. pageantry. Yeah, I I guess, but at the same time, I just thought that that was a dope like half cape that he was, that he was rocking there. Uh, I feel like there's not enough capes just in general. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in the world, like even now? Even really? especially now. There's a, yeah. there's, a, there's a huge lack of capes. Is there a way to bring back capes without it looking ridiculous? I think it's impossible. <sighs> it's a shame. Definitely. It's a really, it's, it's, it is a real shame because like. And impractical. <laughs> <laughs> no, because if it gets cold, you can wrap yourself in it. It's like you're carrying oh. around a blanket with yourself all the time. <laughs> Yeah, I we, think, we have we have uh, snuggies for that. Think about like Star Wars and how like they have the space capes. And yes, of course, those are obviously impractical. Yes, again, of course, capes are impractical. But so, how much of what people wear now is not already impractical, right? Yeah, that's true. So, high heels are impractical, Daniel. Right? Yeah. So you don't see those going any, going in the way of the the cape. <laughs> 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 anyway, so we're we're having a small council meeting and. 
this is fun because it's the first time we meet Varys, right? It's the whole crew is here, right? Uh, Renly is there. I keep, I forgot that Renly. I'm gonna be honest, guys. I completely forgot about that he existed. Like it's been so long since he's been alive. Um, yeah. But yeah, Renly's hanging out there, and he's. I forgot that he he has such a like kind of playful attitude. Uh, I I definitely enjoy his presence, even though I forgot that he was he's been around. It's so weird. Like the the three brothers there, Robert, Stannis, and Renly, they're are very different. Oh, you know? completely right. <clears throat> like Stannis is obviously like the stern, sort of stoic, you know. Mm-hmm. And then Renly is quite the opposite, and I, I, that's probably like you know how he grew up. He never really had responsibility. He got to be more jocular. Yeah. Um. And and then Robert is just Robert's kind of a dick in this episode. Hey. He's also drunk I've, most of the time. Robert's my favorite. Like, I, I think <laughs> out of all the characters, I think I miss Robert the most. Really? Maybe. Every I don't dead know. character? I'd have to think about it, but maybe okay. Oberyn. Yeah. It's hard to – It's hard to. yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, right? But I mean, it's, it's so weird because 90% of the characters in this season one are like dead <laughs> in season yeah. seven. So it's like, all right. Um, but who else is there? We have uh, Grandmeister Pycelle. We have Varys and Littlefinger. Uh, and we'll get to more of Littlefinger because he plays a prominent role in this episode. Uh, but his accent is all over the place. There's one particular scene in this in this episode where it's like, what are you doing with your voice, dude? <laughs> like, pick one. Yeah, he was kind of experimenting, I guess, <laughs> I as guess. an actor. He uh, found it eventually. Yeah, he did. He did. He did. Uh, and I, like, I, I, I didn't, I don't have a problem with his, like his final choice, but it's like, it's weird that you would have multiple versions of your accent in one series. It's fine. It's not a big deal. All right. So, uh, what are they talking about here? They're talking about a tournament, uh, to, I guess, to celebrate Ned's, um, appointment as Hand of the King, right? Yeah. They talk. Again, it's all about pageantry. Right. about looking a certain way, ostentatious. There's a lot of numbers thrown around here, so we find out that the essentially the most important thing is that we know that the crown is six million gold in debt, right? It doesn't really Three mean anything. Three of which is to the Lannisters, right? He says. Are you saying that he says? I think. Are you telling me that the crown is three million in debt? And he says, I'm telling you that the crown is six million in debt. Um, it's hard to understand. Like, like, what's the like? How much? What's the inflation value? Like, how? What is is six million like? as much as six million is now like what does that mean we doesn't we don't really know that's not really important they don't really have that sort of uh advanced economics (laughs) it doesn't really it doesn't really matter because uh as long as it sounds big um it is big right and it it does become important later because part of that that six million is owed to the iron bank of bravos that becomes a plot point later on in the series yeah like a relatively large plot point at one point it became a huge plot point in the last season like it came back out of nowhere Right, it had been dropped ever since uh, whoever ever since whoever went over to the Iron Bank uh, and then was murdered. Mace Tyrell. Yeah. So ever since ever since they, that that like that way back when that that whole plotline had been dropped, and then the dude from the bank shows up in season seven, being like, "Hey, by the way, you know, you I know you're in debt, but we're gonna lend you more money because you know we're backing Cersei's team or whatever." Right. Mm-hmm. So it is important, but. Um, it it's only curse. It's only used as kind of like a in, in this kind of kind of to just create to build um, drama, really. Because it's a, Ned is like this, the, the crown shouldn't be in debt at all. Never mind that much, you know. 
So, yeah. Um, after that, or is it before that? Jamie and Ned have a conversation in the throne it's, room. It's right before that. I think, like right as he walks into to the throne room, right. Jamie's sitting at the foot of the of the Iron Throne, and it kind of they kind of picking up from where they left off at the feast in Winterfell. The conversation they're talking about. Basically talking about, like, he says, very handsome armor, not a scratch on it. And he's like, well, I do need that. No one, everyone seems to miss. And Ned's like, well, you seem to, obviously you pick your your opponents well. Um, it's kind of like verbal sparring between the two. It's a lot of Definitely. fun. Um, and obviously Ned has a lot of contempt for Jamie. He doesn't respect the man. Yes, because he stabbed but the king in the back. Interestingly, right? Jamie at one point, like he, when he's speaking about, you know, killing the Mad King and saying that it felt like justice, like he was... To a degree, extending an olive branch to Ned there. Yeah. But Ned of course, will have he also, like, Before he said that, he also talked about how he watched Ned's father and uncle or brother. Brother. Burned alive. <laughs> so he and, he's, and he's talking about how he's – and you stood there and you did nothing, right? And then he talks about how it felt like justice. Right? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of – it doesn't it – does, you know, it's a backhanded kind of attempt at that. It's not really honest – Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's what Jamie's character is like. He his biggest thing is that he did the right thing by killing the Mad King. He believes that it was an honorable thing to do, although he did it dishonorably with like stabbing in the back, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right, and obviously betraying the King's Guard. But well, he he yeah. still that's the best decision he's ever made. You know. Yeah, I mean, and Ned, as Jamie points out, is like, well, would it have been better if I stabbed them in the belly? Right. Um, it. it not on, I feel like he's he's called Kingslayer all the time. We, it's kind of almost become we almost become numb to it. But that is such an important moment, and I think it's going to come full circle. I mean, it's still going to. There's another scene later on where he talks about that whole event later. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think that might still come again. We might see that whole event play out at some point in flashback. I thought if if Bran is still as busy as <laughs> as he is with his flashbacks, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. anything could happen. Literally, anything they, they, could happen. At There's this, not yeah. much we don't know about that. Like, I don't know what the purpose of going back to it would be, uh, unless something happened that nobody's spoken about for this long, right? Or, it, or I mean, we see, can see things from a different perspective. We've always we've heard things. We've we basically heard the story from Jamie's perspective, um, and is it Varys? I think tells a version of the story. I think, um, but I mean, that's if there could be another perspective to this. There could be a reason that he turned crazy in the first place, right? Uh, mm-hmm. A Hodor, Hodor situation, uh, possibly, right? So we'll see. I mean, I like that's one of my favorite uh, theories, actually. Uh, Game of Thrones theories is that Bran somehow made turned the king crazy through one of his circular uh, time loop closed. Yeah. What did we call it? A closed uh, paradoxical circle, I think, is what it's called. Loop, a closed paradoxical loop. If that's uh, what happens? That's I think that that's I think that's interesting. Actually, I don't. We always talk about do theories make the show more interesting? Does it make it actually better, or is it just quote unquote cool? I think that's I think that actually makes the show more interesting. It does, and um, as much as I you know I don't want them to play around with time travel too much because I think that that is kind of jumping the shark, especially with only six episodes left, right? Yeah. Um, that because that's still relatively brand new. I don't think that Hodor would be the only reason to have that. Uh, it, that power in right. the series, yeah. right? I mean, it's not like it's too late to use time travel because it's been introduced and used now, right? Um, and if it's a like it's a we talked about closed paradoxical loop, like if 
the Mad King has already gone crazy, right? So it doesn't actually change anything if, you know, if he goes if he goes back and like it, nothing changes, right? Like yeah. it's a closed loop. So um, I don't think it. If, I think it's. I don't think it would break anything really in terms of um, how that all works. Um, before we move on, uh, does does Ned in this scene kind of threaten Jamie? Is he threatening him here? <laughs> sort of. I mean, <laughs> it's obviously not a direct threat. It's a thinly veiled one. Well, yeah, it's it's like Ned doesn't fight attorneys. I think he said that in the other episode, right? Um, but like. It, it's him saying like I could take you I, if if I wanted right. to. Okay. Which again I don't believe is the case, but yes, you've, you've made that clear. <laughs> um, anything we also want to say about the small council meeting? Um, I guess I should mention that um, Ned gets a little testy and he gets angry with everyone right at the at the very end. Um, mm-hmm. In a uh, like Littlefinger says, right? <laughs> um, fast tempers, slow minds, right? Um, in this very episode. He kind of catches himself not being very uh, ornate, lordly, lordly, and he sa- and kind of like he, ca- he catches himself. He's, he's like, "Okay, you know, what? I'm sorry. Let me like gather myself, or whatever." And he like excuses himself, um, but you can tell like he doesn't. You can tell why he doesn't fit in with these people, right? When he starts yelling at everyone and be like, "There will be no tournament," right? Yeah. So uh, then we have a scene with Joffrey and Cersei. And I really like this scene because you have Joffrey really, he's opening up here and he's saying like, listen, I, I wasn't princely in the, in this, like I didn't fight off a dire wolf. I got bit by one and cried like a little baby. And, and he's kind of like opening himself up. Right. But his mom is the worst. Right. And it's just, it just fills his head with like, um, no, no, you know, once you're king, what you say is reality. So it doesn't matter what what actually happens, exactly. right? Um, just that's that's the the Lannister way, and not even just the Lannister way, like the royal way, essentially. Right. Exactly, right? There's there's the story, the great story of how uh, like that Spanish king. I don't know if it's true or not, but why like people in Barcelona have a have a lisp, right? Um, or Barcelona, right? Because apparently the king had a had a lisp and he couldn't say Barcelona properly, so everyone else had to say it like that. I have heard right? that too. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how true that is, but I, even if like it sounds plausible, so it's kind of that same idea, right? So, um, but the point being, I think, is that you get a glimpse of the fact that under the right parentage, I think Joffrey would not have been as much of a monster, right? He could. Have I, I mean, that's hard to say. Nature versus nurture, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, yeah, I mean, maybe not as bad as what I'm trying to say. I mean, he, he is though. He's just a saint. Like, he's he's always kind of like even in this episode without Cersei prodding him. He, he you know his his mentality is, I'll kill his, their enemy. I'll kill my enemies, and I'll force the royal army to kill their brothers if I have to. I'm not asking, right? That blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah, that's true. And like uh, this is more knowledge from the books, but like he would torture cats when he was a kid and, and stuff. Like he, he had those <laughs> those uh, serial killer uh, tendencies. Okay, psychopathic well, tendencies. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Under better parentage, people probably they, no one would let Joffrey become king. I yeah, or they may have curbed that behavior. Sure. Yeah, right. Um, it's but it's just such a and then like so Joffrey goes through that whole plan for you know like you know so the you know, the Starks are our enemy then right so how would you deal with them so you know Cersei how, how would you deal with them he goes through this whole plan of how he would you know 
basically depose the, <laughs> the, the Starks and place someone who's loyal to the crown in Winterfell, right? Which does eventually happen uh, anyway, just not quite with, you, in, well, yeah. with the use of much more deceit. But like his is a pretty yeah. straightforward sort of simplistic plan. Yeah. Which and, obviously wouldn't work. But then you get an example of Cersei's intelligence saying, explaining to him why his plan wouldn't work, right? It's like, you can't, it just doesn't work. Like, you, you I like how he's like, uh, who would I put there? I mean, Uncle, Uncle Bill or whatever. <laughs> Uncle Kevin, yeah. <laughs> right? And uh, Cersei's like, no, you, the, the no one, you can't, you can't conquer the North. You know, the North has to kind of like rule themselves, basically. Um, and you just get just a great example of, of Cersei's intelligence. But, um, it's funny to think that in season seven, her plan is literally let's go conquer the let's go conquer the north, right? <laughs> so uh, you know I don't know what to think about that. Uh, but we I mean, get- at that point, like we've lost so many major houses, like the status quo has shifted yeah. considerably. We also get a great line with everyone who isn't us is our enemy. I think you brought that up the, uh, like last week when we were talking yeah. about uh, her mentality, uh, even when talking with Jamie. Then we have a scene with Arya, Sansa, and Ned. This is fun because Arya's stabbing the table, <laughs> practicing for the prince. That's a, that's a good line. I like that. Yeah. Um, Ned gets gives Sansa a gift, but she's a brat about it, right? Um, God, that's heartbreaking, eh? Yeah, it's like, ugh. It, it, I mean, I think everyone's everyone has probably – have you ever had received a gift from someone and like as a kid and like didn't like it and didn't do a good job of pretending like you did? Uh, I think one time, and I, I it was I think probably like my fifth birthday. I mean, you were probably there. I don't know if you remember. I don't remember uh, your fifth. My birthday. My neighbor got me like underwear for, for my birthday, and I threw it at a chair. <laughs> <laughs> so to be fair, I love getting underwear for for my birthday and Christmas. Um, it's because I almost never buy my own underwear. Yeah, I was about to say, like, where else do you get underwear? Yeah, from? I just, I just, it, can you even buy it? Is it is it even available in stores, or does it just come from? from aunts and uncles and, <laughs> and parents, right? Um, but at the time, you're right, underwear, it's hard. It's a hard sell, right? Your parents know that you need underwear, right? So they yeah. give you underwear, but like, you don't want that. I want the latest Spider-Man action figure. <laughs> yeah, and I think I got, like, I got, like, Power Rangers that same day, so I'm like, come on. Right. Keep up. <laughs> but I said, I, so I'm, all I'm saying is I can relate. I'm sure I've done that. I remember I received once a – my mom got me a leather jacket for Christmas. And That's it? It's a really, it was really expensive, really nice leather jacket. But it was – I looked like an idiot wearing it. Like, <laughs> I just looked like the biggest idiot wearing this leather jacket. Like who am I, try, who, who am I trying to – like who am I trying to be? Am I, try, am I, am I a biker? What am, what am I going? Like, what am I go, trying to pull off here, right? Um. I had like I'm like I'm really trying. I'm like, Mom, it's really nice, but I can't wear this jacket. I will just <laughs> so I like we ended up exchanging it for uh, like a different like pea coat style um, winter coat. But yeah, that's kind of that's the my memory of that. But of course, she just does not have the same tact in this one. Oh, you know, there is a nice reference to Marcella though in this, who we don't meet for. Do we even meet her this season? Well, she she had a line last episode. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But Barely. but other than that, she is basically out of the series for a while. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I think she's even no, she's recast as well. Right? Yeah. And uh, maybe. 
And then Ned has a really fun, uh, like, war was easier than daughters, which is a fun line. Then we have a scene with Ned and Arya. And this is when Ned finds out about, finds out about Needle. Um, Arya has, Arya has some good lines in this whole episode. He's like, I wasn't playing and I don't want to be a lady. It was one of, it's what it's just, just true to herself, essentially, right? Yeah. We also get the sticking with the pointy end line uh, used Once again. again. And this is just a really nice touching father-daughter moment, right? <clears throat> it's, it's probably one of the last, like, versions of that that we get. I mean, he's at the very end of the episode, we have him watching as Arya practices uh, her, her water dancing, right? But things start to hit the fan, like, pretty quick starting next episode. Yeah, it gets uh, busy. So there's not a lot of these moments for just, like, intimate, uh, you know, character-on-character um, conversations, like small scenes like this. Uh, it's sad because there's, you know, Sansa could have had a scene like that with Ned, but chooses instead to be a brat, right? Well, she's just, yeah, she's a teenager and teenagers are notoriously the worst people in the world. Yes. It's so. a well-known fact. Yeah. And, but then Arya gets this moment, right? Where she, it's like basically opens up to, to her dad and it's like, listen, I don't hate Sansa. Not really. Right. And this whole thing about like, you know. Being, you know, true to herself, right? And, you know, it's like if, you, if you're going to use a sword, you're going to need to learn how to use it, right? Which is odd. Like, honestly, especially – we always say this when we talk about the show. Like, for that time. Obviously, it's a made-up world, but we're just saying like for medieval times, which is the closest analog, right? Yeah. It's a, relative, it's a very progressive attitude of Ned. You know, that's what every parent should do is, is sort of nurture what your child is interested in. Right. But, you know, that's very uncommon – in those days, if I can use that term. Well, I think he doesn't even in this scene, he talks about like, uh, you know, marrying a prince or whatever. And she's like, that's like that. She's like, I, that's not, I, I don't care about that. Like, I don't. Yeah. Right. Um, there, I don't know. I, I, there's a nice juxtaposition uh, with this scene that I like because Arya is talking about hating the Lannisters. Right. And how, and Ned cautions her on being careful about the things that she says because they're in a very dangerous place. And basically, it like she's basically saying that there are we enemies with the Lannisters, right? And the the scene, like a scene like before, is basically the scene, the, the alternate scene where they're saying of a version of a mother and her son, right? Yeah. And he's and she's saying, yeah, there are our enemies. Ned's basically saying the same thing, just he's just being much more political about it, uh, less overt, right? Mm-hmm. I just think it's a nice juxtaposition. That's a good point. Yeah, he's also trying to protect Arya's innocence a little bit, as you know, impossible a task as that is. Yeah, as we know, it is. It's not at the time. You know, if things were different, he could actually probably keep, shelter her a lot. Sure. You know. Sure. So we then shift over to Bran. Of course, the uh, final scene last week was Bran waking up, and we have uh, who is it that who who is there? Who's talking to her? Uh, to old him. old man, old man, great love, old man, right? And honestly, this is this is my favorite scene in the episode. This is your favorite I'm just scene. Get it out, right. yeah. So I love how it starts with a crow, and um, she says, "Crows are all liars, right? Don't listen to him. <laughs> crows are all liars," which is um, a great. I just, everything she says is basically amazing. Um, they re- they reference a story of Sir Duncan the Tall. Daniel, do you know what this what story they're referencing there? Yeah. I do. Um, 
<clears throat> Sir Sir Duncan, uh, the the tales of uh, Duncan the the hedge knight, uh, Duncan Egg rather, um, that those are like the novellas that take place about a hundred years before the events of Game of Thrones. He's mm-hmm. the protagonist. He's Dunk of Duncan Egg. Oh, okay. What's actually kind of interesting. This is theoretical. Like, there's the book hasn't been written yet, but one of the books, one of the upcoming novellas about him is um, about the She Wolves of Winterfell, and. A lot of people think that Dunk and Old Nan were romantically involved back then, uh-huh. and um, Hodor is, would be uh, Hodor is Old Nan's either grandson or great grandson. I don't remember which. Right. But the idea is like he is related to Sir Duncan. Sir Duncan, Sir Duncan the Tall. He was huge. It's possible that Brienne is also related to him. Interesting. Yeah. So, do you? I have this conversation sometimes with people with about Star Wars. Um, mostly with you guys, <laughs> because uh-huh. I don't know, I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. often get a chance to talk about Star Wars all the time. But everyone being related to everyone is that make the story better or worse? Well, it's different. <laughs> this isn't quite like the the Skywalker legacy, right? Um, but like, it's whenever it's like is is Ray uh, Obi Wan's daughter somehow, yeah, or like yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's such a massive galaxy. Should everyone be related? Like maybe not, right? I think. I mean, we're not really. This isn't a Star Wars podcast, but in terms of Star Wars, it's more about uh, like where their power comes from and how power is inherited, right? If you have, you know, Anakin who is meant to bring balance to the Force, and he begets Luke and Leia, who are also very strong in the Force, right? Like it would make sense for someone like Rey to come along to be of that line because mm-hmm. she has that sort of power, that innate power, right? So it just but- feels weird for it to come to, from some random place. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to get into that. That's for that is for <laughs> yeah. a different show. But I guess in this, I think with Game of Thrones, it's slightly different because I think it is. It, it, it kind of feels more organic um, because like lineage and heritage is arguably more important in this, um, and then your name is more important in Game of Thrones than it is in in Star Wars. And it, realistically, at the end of the day, it is basically an Easter egg. You know, Sir yeah. Duncan was just known for being a big guy. <laughs> and now some of the big characters, like it's it's the little like the subtleties, the way that George Martin writes about them. Like so, in the novellas, it's uh, Duncan, uh, Dunk the Lunk, thick as a castle wall is what they call him because he's big and dumb essentially, right? <laughs> so that's what people make fun of. Him. They use the term specifically, thick as a castle wall. And then in in the Song of Ice and Fire books, that term is only ever used sparingly, and it's used to describe Brienne. It's used to describe uh, Hodor, I think, and Gren at the Night's Watch, which we were all. You know, characters who are kind of defined by being large, but also not necessarily the smartest, right? Right. So it's just like a hint, a little Easter egg that you can pick up on if you right. pay attention, right? And it's like, and if maybe they are cool, if not, doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, it's not gonna, it's not like they're gonna be like, oh, you're you're related to Sir Duncan now, you're the king, you know, like that doesn't <laughs> yeah, happen, right? Exactly. Um, but we also get a couple more fun. I think basically, old Nan is full of stories. Great, she talks about the long winter, right? The uh, snow a hundred feet deep, um, or the long night. I guess I said the long winter. Um, and that's both. Uh, yeah, fair. And uh, Bran is basically saying that you know his favorite stories are the scary ones. You actually get some fun scary music come in here when she's talking about uh, the White Walkers and their pale spiders, the, as large as hounds. By the way, I know people have been waiting for giant spiders. We're not going to see giant spiders. We would have seen. <laughs> yeah, them I, by know. I know. I <laughs> know. And also. I have no need for giant spiders in my Game of Thrones. Keep giant spiders as far away from all, <laughs> all of my entertainment as possible. That would be great. Thank you. 
Well, you're right, because the thing with the, like, with all these stories, they're folktales, so parts of it are embellished. Obviously, it's based in truth. The White Walkers were a real thing at mm-hmm. one point. The Long Night really did happen. But that, that the spider part of it is definitely something that was added for dramatic effect, I think, somewhere down the line. But it sounds so cool. They're hunting with their, with their pale spiders as large as hounds. And packs of them. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> anyway, we're not going to see that, so don't, worry, don't get your hopes up on that one. At least I hope not. <laughs> um, but I just I, I just like getting this uh, this kind of this background this back it flushes out the world it's 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 nice and then of course Rob comes in and tells about how once Nan told her that the sky was blue because they lived inside the eye of a blue eyed giant named Macumba <laughs> yeah which I just I like just saying Macumba I think it's a, it's a fun word to say that makes sense that one is made up for the show that's not part of the okay Song of Ice and Fire mythology. I think it's also made up by, na- <laughs> by old man. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and Rob comes in. He's kind of talking like, are you sure you fell? He's like, are you sure you fell? He's, he's fully on board the there's no way in the world that Bran could ever fall while climbing. Even Bran is like, but I did though. So, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and so Bran, I guess we, we also learned that Bran is paralyzed uh, for the first time. And on the waist down, yeah. Yeah, from the waist, exactly. Um, and the, he is not happy about it, right? He's like, he says he's ra- he'd rather be dead. He says it twice. It's actually really great line reading um, from him, and uh, it's really tra- it's really tragic. And because you know he starts by being a jerk to old man, and you're like you don't understand, you don't really understand why. And then you and then at the end of the scene, you find out that he's paralyzed, and you're like, oh. Yeah, I'd be a, I'd probably be a dick probably too. Yeah, he's he's in a bad place right now. Yeah. So we go back to King's Landing. Well, actually before we go on, is there anything is you said your favorite scene? Do you want to is there anything else you want to mention about well, it? It is basically just like having old Nan tell that that folktale. Mm. That's what I like. Yeah. And you know what now I think about it, it's probably not my favorite scene because I love the <laughs> stuff with with Ned and Jamie and the scene with Robert later later on. So I don't know. It, it's all good. It's so crazy doing this rewatch like these episodes Hey, I think you mentioned this last week. They jump around a lot. They're really busy. Yeah. It's like boom, here, 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 here. But they're all like they're all like great episodes. None of them feel like a like they, you know, uh you know, it's there's like a there's like a curve. Sometimes their episodes are great and then sometimes they're they're not so great. And this yeah. one it seems like they're all pretty high up there for me. I don't know. For this one, I you know, I save our thoughts for the end usually. But um for me, I think this is more one of those filler episodes where a lot feels like a lot's happening, but not a lot is actually happening. Yeah. Does yeah, that make yeah. sense? Like a lot of things, like we're going to a lot of scenes, or back and forth, blah, 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 blah. And we learn about a couple of different things. Like Brand's, uh, Brand's paralyzed. Uh, Danny's pregnant. Uh, John isn't impressed with the Night's Watch, right? We learn these, this, these are things that we learn, but nothing's actually happening, right? Yeah, the, the overall plot doesn't really move, move as much. Yeah. This episode is more about the characters. Yeah, which is fine. I think that's because it's great now in a rewatch because you really appreciate those moments more. Where yeah. as new episodes, you're like, let's move the plot. What's happening? You know, like, tell me more, 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 right? Or this stuff, you're like, you can kind of sit back and like, oh, okay, you know, that is a nice moment with with Ned and Arya, right? So we move back to King's Landing, and Catelyn arrives. And by the way, the great example of quick. Um, they didn't they didn't show Cat on the road, right? We they just she's this there now, right? People get all mm-hmm. upset about how people jump around in um, the, the newer seasons, right? Uh, and they don't, even now, they don't really worry about it that much. 
Although the thing is, and I think, that, and I've actually noticed this in this, is that they think about it, right? So between episodes, months are going by, apparently. Yes, that's right? the thing. She left last episode, right? Right. I think the reason, the times that it's bugged me in the later seasons have been scenes where they essentially cut, like they'll have a character saying, I'm going here, and they'll basically cut to the character arriving there in the next scene, you know? So I would guess- Or I even would, have one scene in between. That's what makes it feel kind of jarring. I would argue that this creates its own kind of jarring and conf- jarring confusion because we're supposed to, Danny's pregnant, right? And she's showing already, apparently, right? So she's been pregnant for what, four months? Usually around three, I think you start showing. Okay, so three months has passed since last episode. Uh-huh. Or may, well, maybe I get maybe she was. I don't. Know, I don't want. To, we shouldn't speculate on when she was impregnated. But um, like, it just you get these like they they drop these little lines where um, vast amounts like sums of time have passed since ep- between episodes, right? Months sometimes, right? But the characters haven't changed in any way, right? So you'll have character moments from one episode to another that makes sense in a traditional sense, right? But apparently months have gone by and we're supposed to believe that they haven't interacted in that, yeah, in yeah. that time. And so it, that's I'm almost equally as confusing, right? So I'm really more willing to just to allow a story to play out in a more uh, sensible, as far as, as far as characters are concerned and their dynamics, than worrying about the logistics uh, yeah, because I think that creates I mean, more confusion. I get what you're saying. The only thing I would say is, uh, like, the Starks and the Targaryens are they're on different timelines. Like, it's not necessarily this is happening at the exact same time, right? Yeah, Just it's in the same but they episode. don't really present that. They don't really tell yeah, you I that know, it's, or it's present weird. it in that way. So if if we're supposed to interpret that a scene that happens right after another scene is actually taking place two months before the scene you just watched, unless they present that to you in some you know meaningful way, there's no reason to believe that that's the case, other than trying to twist yourself into a knot trying to figure out the timeline yeah. because of yeah, travel yeah. times, right? Just doesn't it's not worth it. Um all right, so Kat arrives and she is uh met at the gate by uh a knight to escort her and she's not happy about it. She's actually pretty pissed off. <laughs> Cuz she thought she was arriving in secret. Um her by the way, her her whole ability to stay secret and move through the country didn't work very well, obviously. Not at all. Uh, Littlefinger and Varys are there. She's tra- taken to a brothel, and um, it's a power play on Littlefinger's part, right, uh, to take her there. Um, it's a dick move. <laughs> well, what's interesting about it, like those are the gold cloaks that take her, right? That, right. That's the city guard. Mm-hmm. So either he has a couple of them in his pay or he uh, used uh, Lord Janos to do it, right? Right. Which, um, yeah, yeah. Which is likely yeah, yeah. that he had Janos in his pocket. Yeah, because he he's the worst. Um, yeah. So he takes him to the takes her to the uh, the brothel. We get uh, a chat with Varys there. We get another little finger Varys and Cats there this time. Um, we get the first mention of Varys's little birds, which became such a classic uh, like little line. Um, and then we look, we get some. This is where kind of a little bit of plot happens. We learn about the dagger, right? Uh, and Littlefinger tells us how he lost it to Tyrion. Um, where we cut directly to Tyrion. But is there anything else you want to mention about what happens here with Kat uh, before we move? What it is to me, um, we obviously were introduced to these two characters in the small council meeting. Yep. But this scene is more like introducing not their true selves because they wouldn't really show it to anybody. But like this is more their essence. This is what they do. They they whisper, they backstab, they deal in secrets, right? Mm-hmm. 
So we, we actually get a, a glimpse of their true function in this scene. Right. Whereas they're, they're kind of playing Patsy in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we cut to the wall and, uh, we, Tyrion's watching, uh, John as he kind of shows off <laughs> in, to all the other recruits. Uh, Lord Commander Mormont's watching. And, uh, so <laughs> John's, John, I, John's kind of a shitty dude in this episode, actually. Can we get that out of the way? John is kind of a little... Oh, he is. He's just as much of a brat as Sansa is, almost. And Because, you know, he, he... Not that I'm forgiving it. Obviously, he is being shitty. But, like, he was kind of shat upon his whole life. Yeah. But he had all the training and blah, blah, blah. So now he's in a place where he has a little bit of social leverage over these people. And physical leverage, obviously. And, you know... But he's also pissed that... Um, <laughs> that... No one told him the true nature of the Night's Watch, right? That no one told him that it was full of murderers and thieves and rapists or rapers, if you want to, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you're Tyrion, right? Um, so he's like, I he's like he's been basically brought up to believe that it's like a noble uh, a noble cause, right? Um, and for some of them, it is. Yeah, I mean, for a handful of them, like for Benjamin, for John, for for uh, G.R. Mormont. Yeah, for Alice or Thorn probably. I, mean, I think for some of them, I th- they're kind of in self exile, though, right? What it is is a lot of them are like the third or fourth son of a house that wouldn't ever actually have any lands or titles of his own, right? So this is a, a way to be effective in the world, mm-hmm. or like uh, Lord Commander Mormont, for example. He just he got to he got old and he decided to pass his lands and title on to Jorah, and then he's like, well, what I'm gonna I'm gonna go be useful over here if I can. Yeah, that makes sense. And then Jorah betrayed him and ruined their family. So right, but then on the bright side, we get this. We get a really sweet, uh, young little Mormont girl who is the best. <laughs> yeah. Um. So a raven comes for John. I. It's kind of like a raven came for Ned and a raven came for John. We. Do, it turns out that raven. It, I don't know why they keep. They're keeping it like a like a, a secret. It's just the news that Bran's awake and that he's crippled. Right. Um, and that's, and that's basically, that's the whole scene. We just see John kicking ass, which is kind of fun, actually. Uh, I mean, it's cool. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you gotta question, uh, Sir Alistair Thorne, like he's the master at arms. Like that's not training anybody. <laughs> just, you guys all fight each other, you know, like yeah. the master at arms, they should be doing drills. They should be, you know, practicing, not yeah. just beating up on each other. Well, he's, I think he's trying to get a sense of, cause these are new recruits, right? Getting a sense yeah. of what their skill is, uh, yeah, levels yeah, yeah. at, right? But like, I, it just from as from what I can remember, I think that's like the only training we ever see them do is just hitting each other with sticks. Well, they do another. No, they do another. There's some a little bit later. We kind of get a very brief glimpse of uh, John kind of talking about like you know move more. You know, you need to move more. You need to move less. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a little bit of it of uh, John training them. Yeah. <laughs> and Alistair Thorne gets a great line like, "Congratulations, you're not the you're the least worthless person here," which is <laughs> pretty. Great. It's kind of one of those drill sergeant lines, right? That you yeah. get, so it works. Um, and then again, this, this, these early seasons just jump around so much. It's, it's actually, it's because when we started doing this and I were doing scene by scene, it was a lot easier because the scenes were a bit longer and we was less of them, right? But this, there's like 50 scenes in this in this episode. <laughs> so uh, then we go to Ned and the Grand Maester and Littlefinger, and they're in the throne room. Uh, and this base, this whole scene basically makes is just made up to make Ned looks like look like an idiot. He looks he comes off stupid in this scene. Um, 
he, he, he it, it's Littlefinger telling Ned that Kat's um, in the capital, right? Ned doesn't know. Uh, Grandmaster giving him the 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 Raven, you know. So, I mean, and about about something that Littlefinger obviously already knows too, right? So it's it's an example of how Ned is not suited to be here, right? There's all this stuff happening around him, and he has no idea, right? Absolutely, yeah. He's not built for it. And even if he knew, like, like later on he learns about their little birds and their spies and whatever, like, he could never be that person. Like, he would never employ spies like that, I right. don't think. I mean, I'm sure he has spies in the – like, every every military commander has spies, right? Uh, I'm sure he has his own northern spies that keep – so he knows what's going on in the north, Right. You imagine? No, I don't know. It's hard to say. You got to think. If that were the case, he would he would call them scouts, not spies. I don't know. Right? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Semantics, I guess. Um, And then we go. Then we immediately go right back to John, and John basically almost dies in an ambush here. He's lucky. He's he's really lucky he doesn't die, Uh, (laughs) because Tyrion comes in and (laughs) how fun is that? Is this moment with Tyrion? <laughs> hey, like, is that taken? Yeah, by, is just is a that taken straight from the book? Or is uh, this... Yeah, more or less. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Such distinct faces you have. Definitely memorable faces, right? I mean, it. <laughs> it's, it's just so much fun. Obviously, Tyrion's having a lot of fun this whole season. Uh, he gets a little bit more grumpy later in the series, but at this For point, obvious reasons. Yeah. But at this point, uh, he's he's just having a blast. It's just Tyrion has this 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 confidence, and it, you know it stems from his intellect, and mm-hmm. you know he really like throws his weight around when he when he feels like it. How does it's he fun to watch. how does he know about these people's backstories though? He at this point he's like he's like, did you know that this guy would you know he you know he stole some wheat or whatever, and then this guy stole you know cheese yeah yeah like how does he know how does he know that? <laughs> um, he, I think in that scene he he references that he he's been talking to Commander Mormont about them. Oh, okay, getting their bios. Um. This is kind of where we get the the first understanding of why John is so grumpy and so testy is that he is disappointed by the true nature of the Night's Watch, right? And we kind of talked about that already. Um, he feels a little bit betrayed, even by like by even his own dad, right? By Benjamin to some degree, definitely, uh, yeah. You know, and understandably so. It's pretty like we get more they I, they offer up a lot of like numbers and details about what's happening, like the state of the Night's Watch in this uh, in this episode. And actually, we get a lot about numbers and details about stuff that I think that they kind of backpedal on um, over time because they have less than a thousand men. Remember what I was talking about? I was never, it's never clear how many actual people they have because it looks but like- But it always all, looks like it's 50. Like. It always looks like it's 50, but people are always dying. <laughs> like they, There's Night's Watch people dying left and right constantly, Right. Like just think about the, the the crew that they took out on their little scout mission um, in season seven, right? And yeah. there's a whole bunch of nameless Nights Watch that all die. Every single one of them dies, not one. And one of them dies really brutally where he falls backwards into the all. Of yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It's like who? Where are you getting? Are they con- are they still getting new recruits? Because like a lot of shit's going down in the south that like you can't imagine that like there's just some guy coming in like hey I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow your your prisoners and head north, right? Like you don't just you just don't get that impression, right? So where are these people coming from? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I mean, it depends on when you're you're asking about. 
Um, okay, so I say later in the episode they say currently the Night's Watch as as a total has less than a thousand men. That'll be between Castle Black, East Watch by the Sea, and the Shadow Tower, right? Yep. Um, so it's conceivable that that you know members of the Night's Watch are moving back and forth between the the castles, right? But you imagine you also imagine that there's the most at Castle Black, right? Yeah, likely. Yeah, and and they're also the ones that need the most uh, reinforcements mm-hmm. eventually. Um, but no, you're right. Like I think after the fist of the first man, after you know that that uh, that ranging, they lose a lot of people. They don't really get the numbers back. Nobody's going to be after Yorin dies. I think there's supposed to be a couple other recruiters, but they don't. They aren't really getting new recruits. So yeah, by the later seasons, there's only a couple hundred. I guess there is some wildlings that probably join, right? Well, yeah. Once John lets that happen, that that yeah. really helps their numbers. Yeah. The wildlings <laughs> wouldn't join the Night's Watch, but they they are there. Yeah, physically they're there. To help. Yeah. There is, yeah. I mean, he essentially points the wildlings to man the, the man the wall, right? Yeah. So, they essentially are the Night's Watch without the name. Uh, all right. So where are we then? Uh, back the to John. Then we're back to Ned and Cat. And uh, <laughs> this is this is where we get the line where you know the fast tempers, uh, slow minds line, which is a great line. Um, Littlefinger is doing uh, the thing that he does best where he offers actually sound advice. We talked about this last season before he dies, where he's offering actually sound advice to somebody in good counsel, but somehow it still always serves him, right? Mm -hmm. So he's talking to Kat and he's saying like, you know, you can't just accuse people of of trying to kill your son because you don't have any actual proof, right? Like, you, you know, like you just, cause you have a dagger that once belonged to Tyrion doesn't prove anything, right? You can just say it was stolen, whatever. Right. So he's, he's offering her good advice, but at the same time, he's at the behind the back, uh, behind their back, still fucking with them. Right. That's what he does. That's what he does to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the scene I was talking about where he has a very strange accent. It's super weird. It's like, go it's go back, and it, it, I think it changes multiple times in this scene. Never mind in this episode. Um, it just, I, it's, I was watching it, and I'm like, I paused to like make a couple notes, and then I come back, I'm like, what? Why do you sound like, who? why do you sound like that? Uh, Kat no. says that uh, Littlefinger is like, quote, a little brother to me in this scene. He's defending, Kat is defending Littlefinger here. And it's so this scene has a, very problematic to me from from little from Littlefinger's accent to this like heel turn by Cat. A scene before she was calling him a little snake, was throwing shit at him, right? That's because like she felt insulted. I don't think that she ever thought that she couldn't trust him. I don't know. Just because they grew up together and she does know that he still loves her. Like he he really does. She doesn't know that because Ned tells her that and she's kind of surprised by it. No, she's not she she's she's well aware and she's saying uh does he as in it doesn't matter to her oh oh i see okay um so are you, are you saying that between that scene where he she's all pissed off at him and this scene because he yeah. offered to help her get justice right she's all she's all on team Littlefinger. I think the only reason she was really that mad at him was because he brought her to a brothel like she felt insulted by that um, well, and Ned was but, equally as insulted as why he like ch- yeah. he chokes him out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But now that Littlefinger is offering help, again, they don't really understand the full depth of his uh, deceitfulness, right? Yeah. So it does seem like genuine help, and they're grateful for it. Mm-hmm. 
Then we go to Jamie and Cersei, and this is this is another one of those weird heel turns, right? So we hadn't the two of them haven't really discussed what happened at the top of that tower when he pushed Bran out the window in private since that time, and Cersei's like, "How could you?" Right? It's it's almost to make it seem like she actually is upset that he pushed the kid out the window, right? But like, since when does she care? And even Jamie's like. Yeah, since when do you care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of that's kind of a weird characterization, like mistake there. Um, it, it creates a a nice intro to the scene, but um, you know, and it, it gives us another glimpse into like their dynamic, but it doesn't really make sense as far like there's no, Cersei doesn't care about the well being of a kid. She doesn't. No, but she does care about being caught and what information the kid could right, uh, and that's what Jamie. Reveal. But Jamie says right. What did you want? What else did you want me to do, right? But at the same time, she's like, I, I get the impression, and that maybe I'm reading it wrong, but she is upset that he pushed a kid out the window, but she is also worried that she's going to get caught. She's like, she's she's not sure what she cares more about in this scene. And yeah. I, I just don't get the impression that um, she actually that she, the the Cersei that they kind of established by the end of the season and going well, even maybe season two, that she wouldn't give a shit, right? Maybe maybe she maybe she's changes. I don't. But the thing that I always thought with Cersei is that she's never really changed as a character. She's the one that's stayed the most consistent from beginning to where we are now, right? Well, I mean, if anything, she's doubled down on her negative qualities. Right? Yeah, she's like really let loose, unhinged. Uh, but we get another. This is like another one of those, you know, a first really examples of their abusive relationship. That really become that comes to a head. I want to say in season four, where that there's that is it season four the questionable quote unquote rape scene next to the son of, like next to the dead the is it season four must be around there yeah yeah uh, next maybe to, five next to their son's dead body right you know what I'm talking about I do yeah and do you remember there being a whole hullabaloo about that. Well, I mean, for obvious reasons, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the most depraved thing you can imagine, really. Like. Right. Um, but this is that I think the, what I'm trying to say is that this is kind of where that that whole dynamic starts. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And it's another example of their mentality of everyone who isn't us is an enemy. Yeah, yeah they um, they really hammering that home in this episode. I think, like honestly, from what I know of Jamie's character at this point, like he doesn't really even care about the kids, like about Joffrey, Tommen, or Marcella that much. No, like, he it's makes that pretty literally clear. just about Cersei. Yeah, he makes that pretty clear. Um, then we have a Ned and Cat scene. Jeez, <laughs> uh, and now she's leaving. So I I actually forgot that she was only here for like five seconds. She's She's there and she's gone again, because um, I it, it makes sense I guess, but my memory of it was a bit skewed. I know that she arrests Tyrion, I guess when they meet on at the uh, like cross pass on the road back when she's on the road back. But I completely forgot that she would only came and arrived there for this basically one scene um, and then left. Yeah, that's all she had to do was talk to Ned really. <laughs> Um, and I guess we already talked about this, but Ned says Littlefinger still loves her. And, you know, um, obviously Littlefinger's not very subtle about that. <laughs> like he's like constantly jabbing Ned about it. 
Um, well, actually, you know what? We I can want to talk about something that uh, is brought up at during this small council meeting um, about Littlefinger when he talks about how he has a scar from like the top of his neck to from his, navel to neck. Yeah, yeah um, from Ned's brother. Yeah, which brother is he referencing? Uh, Brandon Stark, who like so, Cat was originally betrothed to Brandon, Ned's older brother. Right. Um, who was obviously he died King. trying to save his father yeah. from the Mad King. <clears throat> And so then, yeah, the marriage was just moved to Ned. He was the next oldest son. But when they were younger, you know, Littlefinger, this is another example, like like we were talking with John earlier, and like we say, it happens with Sansa, how like the romance is kind of ruined for them. You know, yeah. John thought the Night's Watch was this romantic group of heroes, yeah. blah, 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 and it's not the case. So Littlefinger, when he was younger, you know, I think he, he says it later on in a scene, I don't remember which episode, you know, he read all the stories, the, the, the you know, David beats Goliath, so, so to speak, you know, obviously that's not a story in their world. Right. Um, I'm sure there's some kind of weird analog. Yeah. yeah. So he challenged Brandon to a duel for the favor of Catelyn. And Brandon was going to kill him and Cat wouldn't let him. Right. Okay. So he, he has a scar. Like he, he lost the duel. But Cat said spare his life because he's like a little brother to her. Right. It's friend zone. <laughs> yeah. I mean I I hate the term friend zone but that's – that's this, this, is basic, this is the most clear version of a medieval friend zone as you'll ever see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I don't believe in friend zone like in my own life. It, it but exists, but it gets, that's fine. It's definitely the, the, the classic example of a girl yeah. saying, oh, he's like a brother to me, and the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, he loves her. And it's right? like, oh, you could just see, it's like, it's like in Simpsons. <laughs> he's like, if you slow it down, you can see the exact moment where, <laughs> his, where his heart breaks. <laughs> as basically, you could probably go click, 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 and you can see that as soon as he says that, and he's dying, <laughs> that... Um, or, you know, is almost dying that he's heart, heart probably, pro, probably pretty bad then. And that's probably when he turned to evil, Daniel, yeah. that's his, or that's his, that's, that's little fingers secret origin. Well, yeah, but that's, that's kind of the point is like the people now, not to, not to defend little finger, obviously he's a bad dude, but the, the people who are like, you know, curmudgeons or, or more cynical, like it comes from a place of your hopes being dashed away, mm-hmm. right. Or expectations not being met. You thought something. You thought the world was one way, and you got slapped in the face and told that it's not the way you wanted it to be, and so that that's for sure a turning point for him as a character. Mm-hmm. Then we move over to Robert. This you said this is one of your favorite scenes in in this episode. Yeah. So they're sharing. Just like, I really I miss Mark Addy as Robert. It's it's great every time. Well, he's 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 got that like pompous like classic version of a king, right? It down like the chubby rosy cheeks style right yeah the, the gluttonous king yeah and uh they're talking about their first kill and who's he talking to he's talking to at first it's just uh sir barristan right and then jamie joins into the the combo and uh he talks actually you know i obviously this obviously missed the the significance of what he's talking what robert's talking about um in this scene but in a rewatch, he's like he's talking, he's talking about killing Sam's brother in this, uh, right? In this scene, or yeah, um, he's talking I, about killing a Tarly boy. A Tarly boy, it, you know, named, it could but be. Then he names him. He gets it. There's uh, oh, crap. I don't have it written down. I was going to name it, uh, but he 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 actually gives him his name. I think, maybe not. 
It's hard to, I can't remember now. Maybe he might've been talking to the Lancel. The thing with that is like when he says Tarly Boyd, like he does, he mentions that he's highborn and Tarly. So he probably is related. He's clearly related to Sam in some yeah. capacity. I don't know what, because it's so long ago, I would, it's more likely mm. like an uncle of Sam's, yeah, right? Yeah, maybe. That's a good point. Yeah, that's right. Because we actually meet Sam's brother, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's actually not that bad probably, a guy. Like, it could be a grandfather. Well, no, he said it was a boy. So it's likely an uncle. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but I, that just, I think that's interesting because, uh, you don't really get much information on what Sam, whole Sam's whole family thing is, except for in that one episode, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, anyway, they're sharing war stories and it's great. It's a lot of fun. Um, there's that line where Rob's like, you don't, they don't tell you how they all shit themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is pretty gross. And, uh, you realize that Robert's an angry drunk. I mean, they don't really talk about that, but then you, I mean, they do kind of talk about it, but you don't really see it until this. He's, he is not a nice drunk, right? He guys, well, drunk. I mean, he's, he's, he's an everything drunk, right? Right. Like, I guess that's he's all he over does. the place, but like, he, like he's a, well, he's an alcoholic, but that's clear. But, yeah, yeah. um, he, he's, he's basically, ter- it's, a, it's, it's essentially a roast <laughs> of the Lan- of the Lannisters in this scene, um, by Robert, right? He's talking shit to Lancel and he's talking shit to to Jamie, right? And he's saying, I'm surrounded by Lannisters all the time, right? He's like, all I see is your stupid blonde hair everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I do like when he brings in Jamie though, because then Jamie talks about his first kill, which is a Brotherhood, a first reference to the Brotherhood. And um, uh, It's not the Brotherhood that you're thinking of. Is it not? So he the, the Brotherhood outlaws. that we meet later on in this series, the Brotherhood Without Banners, that's that's created during the War of the Five Kings. The uh, Brotherhood that okay. Jamie's talking about is the Kingswood Brotherhood. It was a, a like a, a different group of rebels in the same, in the same area, area <laughs> okay. but during Eris's. So you, can, so you can understand my confusion then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Either way, it's a Brotherhood, and it's always yeah. nice to hear the term rebels. So <laughs> that's always fun. Um, but then Jamie talks about the, you know, like what is the, like, what were the last words? Um, of the first person, you know, uh, killed or whatever. And then he asked him about the last words of the Mad King. And uh, he talked, this is the first time we hear the, the burn them all thing, which again, we talked about earlier. That comes back. It might come back again. Um, but you can tell that Jamie's like kind of shook by the whole thing, right? He's like, it's all, the whole thing is kind of all lighthearted or whatever, but he gets serious for that for that moment, right? That's what I love about Jamie. Like, Jamie is, he's very you know, uh, conceited character. He, he's kind of above everybody else, right? He's always kind of just like joking around. Like he doesn't care what, what anyone else has to say. But as soon as the Mad King is brought up, he does get serious. Like that, that's how you can tell how passionate yeah. he is about he's it, like, right? He's like, if he, he just wants to say, you guys don't understand. He was going to kill everyone. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get it. Yeah, I betrayed my honor. I get it. But he was going to murder me. He was going to murder you. He was going to kill everyone. That's He's the like, thing. And no one and, and no one wants to listen to that. No one wants to hear it. Interestingly, I just thought it's not like much like Ned Stark, the most honorable thing Jamie did was let everyone think that he did a dishonorable thing. Right. Yeah. That's a that's nice catch, Dan. <laughs> don't never don't make that sound again. <laughs> um now, we should probably now is probably a good time to take a take a break because we're going to get into Danny in just a second. So let's take a break and we'll be right back into it. All right, so it's that time again where we're going to talk about the cruise and if you haven't been following along, you should have known by now that we are 
going on a Game of Thrones cruise and we want you guys to come. All right, we've teamed up with Royal Caribbean Cruise Planners and Dalmatian Travel and Events, and we are going to be a part of what is an epic Game of Thrones cruise. All right now, last week we talked about some of the locations at uh, Belfast, which is like the hub of Game of Thrones recording and shooting. But I think we didn't do it its full justice. So we are going to get down to the nitty-gritty of the individual locations that are in Northern Ireland instead of just glossing it over at just one location. Because we're going to be there for, for almost two full days, and uh, I think there's just so much to see that we should probably talk about the specifics a little bit more. I think that's fair, don't you think? I, I agree, yeah. Okay, so before we get into that, let me just quickly mention that you still have a chance to get uh, your $150 free credit uh, towards onboard ship activities that we, again, we've been encouraging the bar, but that doesn't mean we're encouraging drinking. You can still use it on like soda or something, you know, that's cool too. Um, but you need to sign up before March 15th, okay? You're going to find all the details for that at cruiseofthrones.com, okay? Because the ship, the whole experience is called the Cruise of Thrones. It's two different cruises, the Northern Cruise and the Southern Cruise. They're 12 days each. We're obviously going to be talking about the northern portion right now uh, because we're talking about Belfast. And uh, they're 12 days each, like I said, but there's a combined 24-night full experience called The Whole Known World, and that's what we're going to be going on, and we encourage you, if you're interested, to do that one, okay? So let's get into... Oh, yeah, wait. There is also show note links. If you're not sure where to go, go to our show notes in the uh, this podcast, and you'll get links to everything you need to know, okay? So... Let's talk about then, because we're going to be talking about, again, specific locations in Northern Ireland. And I want to talk about Castle Ward. I'm just going to quickly read from the Game of Thrones wiki about this location, and then we can kind of talk a bit more about it. So Castle Ward is one of the main filming locations for the entire TV series, the ancient and sprawling 1,000-acre domain of the old Castle Ward. Now, before we move any further, though, I want to mention that domain ha- is spelled really silly, all right? It's spelled <laughs> D-E-M. E S N E, and I had I had no idea I had no idea what that word meant, but I googled it and that's what it means. Okay, so um, the quote unquote Castle Ward complex features, and that's I'm not, I'm not adding quote like there's literally it's in quotes for some reason I'm not sure why. It's a wiki though, right? So features Audley's Castle on the shores of Strangford Lou. Location of the Winterfell exteriors. Uh, the large grassy plains and countryside on the grounds are also used as the generic army camp filming locations for many of the scenes throughout the series, including both the Stark army camp and the Lannister army camp. Um, technically, it's also the location of the Twins, which is the seat of House Frey, of course, though that did not really have an exterior like shot. That castle doesn't actually exist. There's a camera shot of them looking down on like a generic camp by river um and the actual castle is digitally added later but either way if you remember that shot it's uh it's a pretty nice view even without the castle that's a pretty nice view yeah Um, i'm just picturing you know rolling green hills beside a river just picturesque countryside so obviously um the thing is they make it seem so cold and shiver like it, it and and crappy outside of Winterfell all the time, but I'm sure that it's actually not that bad. (laughs) It's probably pretty nice out there, right? Um, And there's also, by the way, that's near there is also the Tollymore Forest Park, which again, from the the wiki, is used as the 
generic wooded area somewhere in central Westeros. So it could be lots of it's lots of locations. Everything but, with the Brotherhood. Yeah. But the prologue, like obviously, it's most famous, I think, for the prologue scene uh, in season one. Like the very be- the very opening shot of the entire series is filmed there, right? Um, in which the Night's Watch scout uh, is attacked by White Walkers. Um, and it's also the place where later in that same first episode, the Starks find the six orphaned direwolf pups. Um, it's, like I said, not far from Castle Ward. So most of the tours that go to Castle Ward also go to Tollymore Forest. And I'm sure that that'll be something that we are able to do once we get to um, to Northern Ireland as a part of the cruise. So, Dan, is there anything from these specific locations that you would be most excited to see? For me, it's like where that those, that pup was found. It looks like the most picturesque creek, brook, bubbling brook that I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of all of it, right? Like th- there will be day tours offered out of Belfast, I'm sure, probably even from the port. That'll take you on a little bus and, you know, go visit this castle and that castle. There'll be other castles that aren't even involved in Game of Thrones that you'll see along the way. Yeah. Uh, is there's so much actual like real world history in in that area of the world? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That doesn't. That so there's doesn't that, but then there's all this Game of Thrones stuff as well. That doesn't matter, Daniel. Real world history. <laughs> what are you? Bo- nerd. Saying, it's exciting nerd. on two different levels. <laughs> um, there's actually I was reading that in a lot of locations in Northern Ireland, there's um these like intricately carved doors that are in like different pubs and lo- different locations around the enti- like around the island that. Um, like tell the story of there's I guess one for every episode of season six, which is pretty cool. Um, like what a cool idea for a bar. Well, I mean, I, don't I, think, so I, I, I think was looking the, at some pictures online of those doors and they look amazing. I think the door, I think the bars existed before the doors did. Yeah. 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 And they just got to have a door as well. Um, but either way, like those, those are something like I would love to see. Like the, obviously, like I said, there's a, last week I said, there's a whole cottage industry around game of Thrones and the, the, um, the tours and like locations surrounding them, like the, the local towns and stuff are all have pubs that you, that'll have like Game of Thrones stuff in them that I'm sure we'll get a chance to eat and stuff at uh, as well. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, like I said, I just feel like we didn't do enough justice for this, like for Northern Ireland, which is like where everything, where it's really the most important. It's probably, would you say it's one of the most important, if not the most important, Shooting location for Game of Thrones. Oh, I would say it's certainly the most important. It's sort of the nexus. Like this is this is where it all starts. Mm-hmm. Um, it all comes together. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So that's that's this week as we talk. We see a couple couple tidbits of specific locations, but we'll also be mentioning um, other locations every week. Like so, we're gonna what we're gonna try to do, and I'm not sure exactly how this is is gonna pan out exactly what we want, but we're gonna spend the first half of our re- season one rewatch talking about. Um, the Northern Cruise, mostly locations in Northern Ireland. And then for the second half, we'll be talking about locations from the Southern Cruise, okay? And then that's that's how things we hope things will go, all right? Um, but either way, if you want to find all the details, you can find them in our show notes or you can head over to cruiseofthrones.com and remember to sign up um, before March 15th if you want to get that $150 credit towards on-board activities. All right, and we're back, and we're talking about Danny, and this, for whatever reason, when I think of Danny from season one, it's these scenes that stand out to me the most, like, before I watched, rewatching it, of course, but, like, these are the ones that I remember. Maybe it's these, like, really tall weeds that they're walking through or whatever, um, but 
this these ones stood out to me, and we get the, we basically get the first example of how much Danny hates slavery, right? Uh, Jorah's giving his encyclopedia <laughs> of Britannica <laughs> chat, um, just filling in the world. But you know, I kind of miss it though because I kind of like listening to Jorah explain the world. Can he do like audiobooks or something? Because I feel like he'd be really good at it. Well, you know, like uh, obviously, I've been rewatching on my Blu-ray the copies of the Blu-rays in the special features. They have this like the, the history of the, of the Seven Kingdoms or Westeros yeah. and even Essos actually. And each one there's like this little almost like a motion comic, but they're all narrated by one of the actors, but it's done in character. Okay. I don't remember off the top of my head if there's a Jorah one, but you know, I'm sure eventually there are. Mm-hmm. Um, we also get the first glimpses at Danny's first signs of leadership. Right, she's the one that uh, like orders them to stop the whole horde. Uh, yeah, she's starting to accept her role. Yeah. The only thing that that like came to mind there is like, okay, but where's Drogo? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> like I don't see him being like, oh well, she said stop, so I'll stop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Also, she doesn't even know how to say stop yet. <laughs> um, it's kind of. I don't know how much I'm annoyed by it, but I am definitely annoyed by it. Danny's storyline in this season is like at a mile a minute. It is so accelerated her um, her shift from innocent girl to uh, the what is it the burnt one the 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 burnt the unburnt, the unburnt. unburnt. right um, for that journey. Again, I know that between episodes it's supposed to be months and months, but that's not how TV works. So, um, yeah. it just seems like it happens so fast. Like there is, and there is a scene coming up here where it cuts to half uh, naked Danny and naked Drogo lying and like snuggling, right? And I talked about last week how like how quickly she went from hating his guts to to like falling. Truly, madly, deeply, um, uh-huh. and I'm like, this is the example. Look, it's happening. It's the next episode, and she and she's pregnant, and she's all happy about it. I think they try to make it look like she's kind of a, a little on the fence, but it's pretty clear that she's not. Um, so again, I'm just. I'm, that might be the last time I talk about it, unless in the next episode it comes up again. But she's also learning. Um, the language, right? Yeah. Well, you would have to. Right. But by, I feel like by next episode, she's like fluent already. So <laughs> it probably has something to do with the, the savage garden that she finds herself in. Huh? Uh, no. Cause you said truly madly deeply. Right. Oh, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, there, um <clears throat> yeah, there, there's obviously there's months in between the thing. You're right that they are like it's it's marital rape scenes earlier, and it is abuse, of course. Um, it is like I'm not making excuses for it, but it's part of Dothraki culture. Mm-hmm. Um, Drogo does show some tenderness towards her as well. We don't see a lot of it. Not until later, which they still create right, like, like little things in the books yeah. that stuck out, like him giving her her horse. She really liked that. There's there's one day while they're in the Dothraki sea that he goes hunting and he kills. Um, this, you know, rare white lion and he gives her the pelt and that like, like little things like that, that endear her towards it. Like he's not just a, a barbarian mm-hmm. to her. We're, we're missing a lot of that, that information right now. Okay. Um, and, and it's, and she's a kid and it's the first time she's like, she's falling in love and she's falling hard. Right. Yeah. So here's a question. 
she stops the horde and then wanders off. Where is she going and for yeah. what for what? No idea. <laughs> okay, just I'm glad I'm, I'm glad we got that sorted. Is it it's it's literally only so that she can have this scene with her brother where he gets all uh stupid and angry. And yeah, like where where were you going? Like she just wants to touch the the trees like <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't I don't know. It's one of those examples where it's like it happens because it's in the script. And yeah. uh the only cool part about this scene is when he gets the the whip choke. And <laughs> He, he's literally being choked to death by a whip that's wrapped around his neck in like one swift motion. It's the cool, that's, that is one of the most badass things you could learn to do with a whip, right? I don't know that that's, like, I don't understand the physics of that. Well, how does, how does Indiana Jones swing on a whip? Well, that's what I'm saying though. Like, it's, it's not <laughs> like it has barbs on the end. Like, you have to flick it in the right way so that it, like, it ties itself almost, you know? Like, it overlaps itself. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. And I mean, whatever <laughs> it works i don't know how how realistic it is but whatever right I, but i love how it's like okay you should take an ear for uh for disrespect or whatever and then they make him walk is it next scene is it next episode where he gets his golden crown uh episode six I episode believe. six okay it's coming it doesn't it doesn't take long uh they don't well, and and like just to, uh to comment on what you just said like making somebody walk is probably for the dothraki like an ultimate form of disrespect yeah Absolutely. More so than losing an ear. Mm. Uh, do, 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 do. Okay, so we go back to Castle Black, and the ele- we get the first scene with the elevator, so that's fun, right? Um, and I just get the impression that it would take fucking forever to get up the top of that fucking thing on that elevator, right? Yeah, there's also meant so to be a staircase. Because I, I, I was wondering that too. Like, what if what if like there's nobody down there to to like how does that work and you know or like, i mean like the elevator could easily break down <laughs> you know like, what's the weight capacity on that thing yeah really? exactly i think like during that battle scene who's lowering the elevator exactly like you know in like mm-hmm. season in season four or whatever well you would have um i guess it would be stewards that would be like right. that's their during, job is during, to just work with the winch during the battle with the wildlings their only job by the way while there's wildlings in the courtyard is to raise and lower the elevator. I think, I mean, if I'm remembering from the books, I think there's there's guys both at the top and the bottom that can work a winch. Okay, all right. Um, but like, yeah, the stewards during the battle, like they would, their job would be to, you know, get everybody, air, like refill arrows, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, carry off injured and work the winch. They, they aren't necessarily all fight, although they could fight if they had to. Yeah, okay. We also get a very nice establishing shot of the wall. Uh, looks very nice, tall and blue. Uh, this is also the first time we see the top of the wall. And, uh, this is not another tragic final conversation. Uh, well, not actually, I guess it's not technically a final conversation, but it might as well be because Benjamin says, we'll talk, <laughs> we'll talk next time. Um, yeah, which is, <laughs> everybody who says that to John, like we'll talk later ends up dying. Doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, what is, what is the final words that Benjamin says to John in the last season? Not much really. Hey. It's probably like just go. Like, I think he says run or yeah. ride or something like that, and yeah, so not much. God but damn. he does get to use that dope burning iron Morningstar thing. <laughs> yeah, what, what, who invented that? Like what? <laughs> ah, so god damn it! <laughs> what is that? What good is that? Do? You're making me mad again. <laughs> uh, why didn't you both just ride off on the horse? 
Yeah. <laughs> right? The other thing that you mentioned, the the, the farewell, I think we, we kind of skipped over it with Ned and Kat. That's the last time they see each other. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, they, they, and then, like, that's it's a, a rare touchy, moment. It's a pretty nice one, too, yeah. Yeah, they get, they get to kiss goodbye. They're holding hands. It's, it's very sweet. It's, it's sort of bittersweet because I think Kellen mentions at the beginning of that scene she wishes she could have seen the girls. Yeah. And she doesn't get to, but, you know. Yeah. Good point. It's just like last episode, there were so many goodbyes and like so many I'll see you laters that we know never happened. And this one, they, you know, they say goodbye in probably the best way you could hope for. Yeah. It's the most uh, fairy tale ish yeah. way to do it. I mean, obviously, Benjamin and John have a really brief chat. Uh, sort of, John finds out that he's not going to be a ranger. He's just, again, constantly being disappointed. <laughs> well, it's uh, not that he can't be a ranger, it's that he isn't yet. Right. Well, no, but he doesn't even get put in that. He, remember, he doesn't even get put in that path or in that. Uh, no, later I know, but I think I think at this point, Benjamin and everyone else assumes John will be like he he's not privy to the Lord Commander's decision at this point. I don't right. think. Okay. Um, but we also heard Benjamin talking about disturbing reports from beyond the wall. Right. Our first other we obviously obviously we know what's happening over there because the very first scene of the of the show is beyond the wall. But uh, you you really get the you know because another scene with him later on um, where he's talking with Tyrion about how. Like, listen, I've been beyond the wall and I don't ha- like, I know you don't believe in all this shit, but there's some crazy stuff going on out there and you should probably take my word for it because again, I've been over there, right? It's, it's true. And you know, it's, it's, um, it creates drama. It's captivating, mm-hmm. but it's so cryptic. And it's like, you know, if you have information, why don't you just tell them what's going on? I don't think Benjamin's seen, anybody has seen White Walkers yet, but yeah. they've, they've obviously seen signs. I just, you know. I, I guess think, he's probably he's cautious. You don't want to um, jump to conclusions, I think. Yeah. Which is why and he's you don't going want to sound crazy. Yeah. So speaking of that scene with Tyrion, um, we get this scene with Tyrion chatting with, tell me out here, Dan. Yorin. Yorin. Okay, thank you. And they're talking about eating bear's balls. <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty funny. And... Uh, we also get more information about how the Night's Watch works uh, at this time, where they get recruits from the dungeons of King's Landing. And really, Yorin, by the way, has the most cushy job in uh, the Night's Watch, where he doesn't actually have to stay at the wall. <laughs> so he's got to imagine he hangs out at brothels. You've got to know he does oh, that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right? Every chance he gets. <laughs> exactly, right? So... Um, he seems like a fun guy. Um, then Benjamin comes in and just the biggest buzzkill is just instantly the biggest buzzkill, right? He's a little mm-hmm. insulted by Tyrion's kind of disregard and disrespect for the, for the Night's Watch, which is understandable. It's his life's duty. It's understandable. It just doesn't make for a good drinking buddy. Yeah. So I, what I like here is that Benjamin's talking about duty and, rep- and protecting the realm. And what they do here allows you in the South to drink your wine and fuck your whores, right? And... Uh, it's kind. It's a similar kind of uh, uh, dialogue that we use when we talk about uh, our our military now, right? That you know yeah. these people serve to protect our freedoms um, and allow us to sit and record this podcast, for instance, that kind of thing. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and you just get the imp- you get the impression that um, in modern day, there's a lot of respect for the military, and maybe not the the military as a as a industrial complex or whatever, but 
for individual soldiers and what they do, right? Yeah. Regardless, like you don't you don't have to respect the politics yeah. or any of that. Like you don't have to agree with the decision to go to war, but you have to respect every person that signs up, right? right. Exactly. And and I think that's all that Benjamin's asking for here is just like, listen, I get it. You think that what what we're doing here isn't even important, but it is because we're protecting your freedoms. And it, I think it's just it's a nice analog to to like modern yeah. culture. Um nothing something oh yeah and then we get that okay so <laughs> mumble 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 i just like that bit when benjamin says that no, nothing that someone says before the word but really counts um and mm-hmm. i guess that's a line from ned because he says that my brother once told him that um it's either ned or brandon i don't remember right. which but either way it's a it's such a what a great it's a, it's so true right i think it's, I th- there's a there's a modern analog to that too that wasn't i don't think george r, r. martin invented that but um i just i just like that a lot um then Benjamin giving Tyrion a quick lesson on like what is truly beyond the wall, even though again Tyrion still believes it's huffalumps and woozles. And then we get the cool colloquialism of going below, right? Just one of those like cool, one of those phrases that just sounds cool no matter no matter what it means, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's kind of like below to them like the tunnel isn't really underground it's underneath the wall, the wall but they're not right. on top of the wall so it's like what, yeah below but it what? sounds cool though it's probably more often used like or invented by people who are on the wall right like obviously. literally on top of the wall saying yeah. you're going below yeah either way it's, it's, it's that's not important yeah no just a cool uh westerosi colloquialism i guess maybe not even westerosi just like uh knights watchian yeah <laughs> uh then we go back to danny and she's learning Dothraki, and she's pregnant, and uh, that's it. That's the scene. And then you think, I think <laughs> Jahakar. What does that that mean? I am pregnant. Or is no, that what... <laughs> that's the word that she's trying to say at the beginning. <laughs> okay, what does that ah, mean? Jahakar. It means uh, it means like pride. Okay, interesting. Anything else we want to say about the scene? It's just it's her handmaiden like grabs her boob and then uh, asks the last time she's had her period, and then yeah. Yeah. she's. Pregnant. It's it's a big plot point, but there's not much else to say about yeah. this scene. It's important. I feel like it's glossed over pretty quick, though. Like it's like that's it. That's the scene, and then we we move on. Um, then we have a scene with Jorah, and this is kind of actually a fun scene. I I, I just I think I'm enjoying more Jorah scenes than I than I thought I would. Uh, he's <laughs> talking about like the uh, the value of having a curved blade while riding horseback versus a broadsword when dealing with armored foe, right? Um, and like piercing and all like it's like it's a cool he's like it's really a fun scene to, like how he explains how much he actually knows about combat and stuff and we don't even learn about his his uh his history in terms of like the wars uh in westeros until like way later right yeah um but it, that's kind of fun but um i guess jorah learns that she's pregnant and he he's pretty shocked by the news i guess he, he looks a little surprised um, he talks about, he's talking, Jorah's talking about betraying someone. Is he talking about his father in that scene? In the yeah. Scene? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Okay. And then, so he heard, learns that Danny is pregnant and he needs to ride for wherever, presumably Cold to go Lord. to spill the beans, right? Yeah. So right now, just to give you an idea of the geography they're on, probably what would be like the westernmost area of the Dothraki Sea and Kohor is, you know, it's relatively close. It's just like it's due north from where they are. Okay. And so he's going to go there and send a note 
back to Westeros. When so, I think he I think he talks about it, but what is the exact moment that Jorah realizes that he shouldn't be spying on Danny? I think he, you know, he he genuinely starts to believe in her. Yeah. So what you is know, that? Like, is, I, it, I, is it when she doesn't burn and die in that fire? No, I think it's before that because uh, later on in this se- in this uh, season, there's a, the guy, like they try to have her killed. The guy tries to poison her with wine, and Jorah yeah. stops it. I think oh, like, okay, that's yeah, when yeah. he made the decision that he actually wants to serve Danny and wants to help her, and he's in love with her too. Right. Yeah. That's not. Yeah. The tragic kind of love, and yeah. the creepy kind as well. Actually, that's both. <laughs> yeah. Um, then we go to Castle Black again and Tyrion is uh watching as John teaches some new recruits and then we get this is kind of the um the numbers portion that we mentioned earlier and we we can kind of gloss over this pretty quick but we also meet my, uh Meister Raymond for the first time Amon Amon did I say Raymond yeah, yeah. nobody's named Raymond yeah. <laughs> well, everybody loves Raymond <laughs> um Mr. Amon and I love his line where like the Starks are right. Ev- oh, always are always right eventually, right? Uh, winter is coming. That he's saying that the uh, those in Old Town are saying that uh, the day the days are getting shorter. Blah blah blah. And this is basically Lord Commander Mormont saying, "Please help us <laughs> to Tyrion, right? We have yeah. less than a thousand men. We're not well staffed." <clears throat> um, and then, and unlike his interaction with Benjen, I think. You know, Tyrion really, like, truly does have a lot of respect for Mormont and Aemon. Mm-hmm. So, like, he, he's more inclined to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he, he takes it seriously. Yeah. I Does he... I think he does try to convince them to send men, but that it doesn't work, if I recall like, correctly. He, when he gets back to King's Landing, I think he throws it out there. Like, he... And actually, no, I'm pretty sure he does send people. He sends General Slint, of course, and he probably sends a bunch of other prisoners. So he does yeah. kind of live up to it. Kind of. It's just, just like, it's not was enough. A, was it was also a dick. But yeah. <laughs> whatever. Um, there's also the, like, talk about like some really f- far in advance foreshadowing when they're like, you know, when night, when the long night comes again and, you know, and we're not prepared, God help us all. Right. Um, it's been seven, it's took, it took a little while, but it finally happened. You can now <laughs> finally say, God help us all. Right. <laughs> but I think it is one of the most prescient scenes, um, when talking about our current situation in season seven, going into season eight, um, how much this actually matters <laughs> towards that and uh, in our current situation. <clears throat> Danny and Drogo again. This is that one I was talking about earlier. Uh, super fast. The scene is, I don't know if you know if there's a reason for this scene. It's just probably to show you that they have a bit more of a relationship now. They, they cuddle. Right, you but know, couldn't we have probably just have movie inc- nights? Like. Could we have just included that in a, a Netflix and chill? <laughs> yeah. Um, th- like, couldn't they have just included that in an, a, like a, another scene later on? I mean, I don't know. Again, this is this still early. They're still working out the kinks. It just it, like it wouldn't make sense right after the the scene where she finds out she's pregnant. Yeah. You know, like it it, mm-hmm. it would be too much. Like you needed a scene in between just to break it up. And then again, that is about passage of time. Like this is probably you know a couple days later. Yeah. Right. Not that it's um, clear. Yeah, all, all that happens is she says it's a boy because she can tell. Right. Then, I don't know. I've never been pregnant. I don't know if you can tell these things. But. I don't think you can. 
Like, I don't think I, I don't get the impression that you can again. Well, I mean, a mother's intuition is a like it's a it's a term. It's a thing. I don't know how accurate it is, but whatever. Hmm. So back to Castle Black again. And this is the last scene with uh, Tyrion at the wall uh, that especially the last scene that John will get um, with Tyrion for quite some time. And uh, he's pissing off the wall like he said he would. So that's nice that he fell. He fell through with that. Um, and we also get the line about how talking about, uh, Bran is like, well, if you're passing through Winterfell again, Hey, just send my, my, my love to Bran. And, uh, <laughs> Tyrion has the line where if you're going to be a cripple in my, you know, in my experience, it's better to be a rich cripple. Right. Which yeah. is, seems like a, a astute <laughs> assessment of the situation. Um, so yeah, I mean, anything else you want to mention about this scene? I, it's just, you know, John and Tyrion now have a sort of mutual respect that wasn't there initially, and like it, it seems like it doesn't make sense for them to be friends, but they are. Yeah, and he kind of says like, "I'll miss you," you know. And it is like it's that's one of the major themes. Obviously, like it's it's uh, a theme. The next episode, cripples, bastards, and broken things. Like mm-hmm. that's just one of the major themes in general. Is like the outcasts, the people that don't fit in to this the standard society like they're the one they become friends and it's it's you know probably more endearing and then they end up being the heroes all of them right yeah john sam Tyrion, danny danny yeah outcast right like literally (laughs) (laughs) literally was cast out i cast you out (laughs) um all right so we go back to castle black and like i said with blah 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 and then aria so how much fun is this scene just on a this this introduction to Cyril Pharrell and this this whole water dancing scene on a scale of one to ten how many smiles did it bring to your face so cool I love Cyril sorry well, actually, and I still have I know that? this isn't gonna happen but I still have this thing in my back of my head that he's still alive somewhere he's gonna he's come back definitely not alive he's definitely not alive but can I rephrase that I would have said I because I usually I did it wrong it's on a scale of one to smiles how many what would, what would you rate it yeah <laughs> um I, I just it, you lot love Cyril Pharrell obviously there was the theories for a long time that Jack and Hagar it was Jack and Hagar in disguise or whatever but that doesn't really yeah. make any sense so um <laughs> I, I think the, the thing there is that they're both bravosi right yeah exactly. that, that's yeah it. So if anyone, Actually, I mean, no, no, Jackin's not Bravosi. Well, the, the faceless men are from Bravos, yeah. but he's not Bravosi. He's just we don't know where he's from. Well, you don't even know who he is, right? Because right. is that he's even his real face? We don't know. But I don't. Again, all I'm saying is I don't think that that's actually the case. He's not. Sir so Frel is just a really cool character that meets a tragic end. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. Oh, and, and we'll probably talk about that. I'm sure we will talk about that in the episode where he's featured. So we'll save it for then, I guess. Right. And obviously we learned that he was, he tells you how he was the first sort of Bravos for nine years or whatever. Um, obviously people have talked about how it's strange, like why, you know, what, what's he doing here? You know, like how, yeah, well, you know, he's retired. He's, he's, he's doing consulting work now. <laughs> yeah. Like people have talked about, I, Sir Farrell is such a favorite, a fan favorite among people that people are con- like picked apart every scene that he's in because, they were looking for any reason to believe that he could come back in some way. He's not, I know I just don't want to burst anyone's bubbles, but the character that taught Arya kind of how to sword fight a little bit 
uh, is not going to come back in the final season of the show. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it is like I, I don't know because I have to believe that when George Martin is is writing this, like he has just charts and diagrams everywhere, and he kind of has it all planned. Gotta, out, he's got to have that of, giant corkboard with all the pins in it, right? Yeah, right. And then and the but strings. It's, it kind of feels like this character, like when he was writing, he didn't really know where he wanted to go with Bravos because the first sort of Bravos, like. That's a prestigious position, you know, like yeah. that's like the leader of the King's Guard. The, Do we even know the, what you know, it means? Do we actually have, is the there a, yeah, is there a definition of what the First Order of Bravos actually is? Or are we just in, interpreting it as sounding important? No, there is, like he, the, so the Sea Lord of Bravos, like he's essentially like the mayor of Bravos or whatever. Like yeah. this was his personal bodyguard. Mm. He's, he's the top water dancer in Bravos for nine years, you know, like he's an elite class of fighter. And so the fact that, you know, Ned Stark just hired him. For his for the daughter, it seems kind of like it just, it just feels kind of weird. Fair enough. I don't know. Um, I don't know. All I know is that I enjoyed watching Arya learn how to uh, sword fight for the first time, and watching Sir Pharrell do his his like funky dance for sword fighting is just so much fun. Yeah. Like when he does his little like half squat thing, it's on it like. Honestly, hilarious. <laughs> I think it's mostly inspired, like our from fencing yeah. in our world. Exactly. Um, the most touching part, obviously, being Ned standing there watching, the smile on his face. Where do you? But there's also like weird sound effects in the background, like of, of like mm-hmm. war. Um, what do you think that means? Well, it's just it's, you know, Ned. He's he's humoring Arya by doing this. He doesn't ever think that she's going to have to fight, right? Like he's just doing this because it's like like I said, he's nurturing something that she's interested in, make her happy sort of thing. Yeah. But I think as he's watching at first, he's happy because he sees his daughter. She's happy to learn. But then it's like it starts to sink in like, you know, they are in a dangerous place. Robert said that a war is coming. Like the, the idea of his daughter ever having to use these skills in real life is terrifying to him, right? Mm-hmm. And he's seen a lot of like too much war already. And, you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, uh, it's. It's sad. It's, you get one of those moments where the smile kind of fades and uh, you can just see him thinking back to his time on the battlefield and just kind of the PTSD of it all. Um, mm-hmm. But that's kind of how we that's how we end the episode. It doesn't end on any big cliffhanger. It doesn't end on any big shocking moment. Uh, just a, a nice scene with Ned and Arya and Sirio. It's when, so when you get to the final thoughts, it's one of those... In my, it is a filler episode. This is a, a filler episode, right? Uh, we talk about those a lot, um, especially in the se- this, uh, the seasons with ten episodes. Um, this one's a better one, though. It's a good. It's a good filler episode, right? Yeah, it, I mean, it's filled with with good content. I guess it's not. Yeah. It doesn't. It does never felt boring to me. Yeah, exactly. So there could be filler episodes that are boring, right? Um, but there can be ones that that give an opportunity for really great character work. This is one of them, and uh, and like we talked about, not actually that much happens, right? But that's fine because things really start to move starting almost next episode. So I, I just I get the impression with this episode and with the last one that the show really is trying to still find its footing. The first episode is almost perfect um, in my mind, um, yeah. but two and three I think they're still really are trying to find their form. Um, and and round into it a bit. What are your final thoughts on this? Uh, on this? Yeah, episode? it's just it's like I don't even think I thought about this when I first watched it, but looking back at like trying to with a different type of awareness, like it really jumps around a lot, like too much, you know. Yeah. So I can see how that could confuse people at first. Um, 
but again, like it, this episode was filled with so much, like so many of my favorite characters doing, like just speaking, like giving you a contextual history of the world. And just, I don't know, like the, the, the thing with old Nan or, or Robert and them talking about their first kills, mentioning the brotherhood, just all that stuff to make the world feel real and lived in mm-hmm. is what I like to see. Well, I guess we can wrap her up there. We will be back next week with Season 1, Episode 4, Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things. But in the meantime, check out all the work we do at our website, towerofbabble.ca. Go to our Twitter, tower, at Tower Babblecast. That's what it is. Facebook.com slash Tower Babblecast as well. Send us any questions, um, comments, anything like that to our Gmail account, towerofbabblepodcast at gmail.com. And like I said, we'll be back next week. This week's Game of Thrones theme cover is a flute cover by Astya Sorin. I hope I'm saying that name correctly. Anyway, it's on YouTube where you can find all of her work. Also, don't forget to head over to cruiseofthrones.com to book your spot today. Hey everyone, and welcome to another Tower of Babel Game of Thrones breakdown. Was it Game of Thrones? Wait, I should always... Normally I, you say Game, Game of Thrones, Thrones first. first. Okay, yeah. Hey everyone, and welcome to another Game of Thrones Tower of Babel breakdown. As always, I am Julian Muche. I am joined by Daniel D'Souza. What's up? And we are here today to talk about Season 3... Sorry, what? No. Oh, I gotta okay. start a card. I'm, I'm all off. I'm all, this is, <laughs> I haven't eaten breakfast yet. Okay, all right, hold on. Let's go back to the top of my notes. <coughs> hey, everyone, and welcome to another Game of Thrones Tower of Babel breakdown. As always, I am Julian Muche. I am joined by Daniel D'Souza. Yo. And we are here today to talk about Game of Thrones episode... The fuck? <laughs> fuck it's you know one of those it's like you know it's like when you like you're playing those like those games that restart automatically that are really hard right like uh-huh. super meat boy uh-huh. and like the first time and the second time you do really really well right but then you die close to the end but then like you play the third and fourth and fifth time you try you die like instantly and you're like and those first traps and you're like yeah. what the fuck you're like i that's the easy part i'm not supposed to die there so i don't know uh ugh. <coughs> I keep getting stumbled on because I say we're we're here today to talk. I'm like, I keep thinking we're gathered here today to join two people in holy matrimony. (laughs) 